No, we've made it to the good news. We finally made it. I no longer have to stand up here and tell you how bad and terrible people that we are and how much sin has just destroyed our relationship between us and God. No, we've made it to the good news and to a section of scripture that scholars say is probably the most important section of scripture in God's word. And some scholars would even argue that it is the most important words ever written in the history of man. So we're going to look at 11 verses today that have so much information that I wish I had six more weeks just to cover these 11 verses. And I'm not lying. I I really would. I would take six more weeks of this to, to dive through what's going on here. So hopefully you have your copy of God's word with you this morning. Go ahead and open up to Romans chapter three, and we will study today uh, verses 21 through 31. But while we read this though, I want to jump up to verse 10 and start there. And the reason I want to do that is I want us to truly grasp the weight and the depth of of this transition that we're getting ready to see in Romans chapter three. So if you would, stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's word as we read this together. We're starting in verse 10 and it might not be up on the screens, but they'll catch up with me on verse 21. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight, in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is, it, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also, since God is one. 
who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. May God be honored by the reading of his word. You all may be seated. And before we dive in, if you would, join me in a time of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and we are grateful for the opportunity to be in your house, opening your word, hearing from you. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to understand what you have done on our behalf, the solution that you have provided for our sin. Father, be glorified in this place. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Let's leave this place different than which we have come. All for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We're at the good news. Now, let me start off by asking this. How many of y'all have ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Anybody been there? Okay, yeah, they're pretty amazing places, right? Yeah, I see some head nods out there, okay? Uh, if you haven't been, uh, the one here in Kansas City, you get a little card. On one side of the card, it's green. On the other side, it is red. Um, if you have the green side showing, you have the waitress and wait, waiters and waitresses walking around with these uh, massive amounts of meat, and they just come by and they say, you've got a green card. I will put more meat on your plate, Right, and it is—it's sirloin, it's leg of lamb, it is, uh, um, golly, what else? Sausage and bacon wrapped chicken, and just amazing, amazing amounts of meat. And as long as it's green, they keep piling it on. This passage reminds me of going to a Brazilian steakhouse. All right, you just get phrase after phrase of gospel goodness. Paul just keeps piling on theological meat onto our plates. It's, it's a theological feast of justification, of redemption, of propitiation, of grace, of faith, and more. And my hope is that this morning is that we leave stuffed as we learn what makes the gospel good. What makes the gospel good news. And I pray that we all see that God has had and has a solution to the problem of our sin. All of these things that we've been talking about for the past five weeks. So why is this, port this section of scripture so important? These 11 verses hold some of the most important truths the Bible speaks on concerning salvation. See, remember in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through chapters 3, verses 20, we saw that we had a great, we are great sinners. There's this great divide between man and God. But now in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, just 11 verses, we learn of the greatness of Christ's saving work on our behalf. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through chapters 3, verse 20, we found out that the universe has a problem, and that problem is sin. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, just 11 verses, we find out that that human problem is solved, and it's solved in Christ Jesus. So we're going to break up this section of Scripture into two parts. All right, In the first part, what I hope that we see is God's solution for you. All right, What is God's solution for you? For us. So let's start in verse 21. And I'm only going to talk about two words here for a second. But the two words are but now. 
These are two amazing words. And I hope that someday that you all will take the opportunity to explore all the great buts of the Bible. That was supposed to be funny, right? Okay, good, right? I, I want you to explore that in all seriousness because this contrasting conjunction, but, is, is a word of great hope in the Bible. See, Paul is beginning to paint a picture that is altogether different and better than the one that we have seen earlier. What we have seen the past five weeks is that it's bleak. Paul has clearly painted all of the bad, showing us how far we are from God. But now he is beginning to paint the bright picture, the shining light of the gospel. This picture depicts the solution to our sin. And this but now is not just a literary shift, but it's a historical shift in salvation history. See, God's saving power is invading the world. The life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ changes everything. Because we were once destined for destruction, but now we have hope. But now, we have God's gracious intervention. This is game changing. This is life altering. It, it looks like this. Um, when I grew up, I played on terrible basketball teams. All right. I was only this tall, you know, since till about freshman year of high school. Okay. But we were terrible. We lost every game. There was no hope for my basketball team. And I knew as soon as I walked in to the, to the gym to get ready to play, I just knew, how bad are we going to lose? That was the only question I had to ask, right? We're going to lose, but how bad? But imagine with me now. Say you're on the team with me. We walked in, hopeless. But then we see a young Michael Jordan <laughs> suited up in our uniform. All of a sudden, we have hope. You once had no hope, but now you have hope. Not only hope, but you also have victory. You have victory. Now, in an infinitely greater and more important way than winning at basketball, Jesus has changed our situation. We were once losers, lost, without hope. But now. Do you see that? Do you see that verse 21? But now, Christ Jesus has done what we could not do on our own. So let's continue. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God. Let's look at these four words. These four words caused Martin Luther to begin seeking a better understanding of the gospel. See, Martin Luther originally thought that the righteousness of God was God's active, harsh, punishing wrath, demanding that a person keep God's law perfectly in order to be saved. That was his original understanding of the righteousness of God. Basically, God saying, I am God and you are not. I am righteous and you are not. I am after you and you must answer to me. That was his view. But listen to what Martin Luther wrote after studying and spending time in this section of the book of Romans. He wrote, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he, 
God justifies us by faith. See, God's righteousness is something that God gives to a person as a gift through faith. And this righteousness has been revealed to us. That's what manifested means. It, it means that be, to be made known to us. See, I took a group of, of people to Alaska for a mission trip. I know somebody has to do it. I will volunteer, right? But while we were there, the first like four or five days, we couldn't see but like 10 feet in front of us because it was so cloudy and so dreary and just nasty. And the church members at this church that we were serving at kept on telling us, right out this window is a beautiful, beautiful mountain range. It's right over there. But we couldn't see it because of how foggy it was. And then one day, the clouds lifted up, and we saw the mountain range. And it was beautiful. They weren't lying. It was, it was amazing. This, was, this is what it means for, God's, for the righteousness of God to be manifested See, we were told that it was there. We just couldn't see it. And this was so important for the Jewish believers that Paul was writing to. So important for them to understand because God's plan of salvation has always been there. They just couldn't see it. And it's been revealed to us as well. See, God's plan of salvation was not just made up after Adam and Eve sinned. No, it wasn't plan B or some afterthought. See, God's plan of salvation was there before the creation of the world. His plan was there all along. So now he continues, he says, apart from the law. Paul places this simple reminder that God's righteousness is given to us. It has nothing to do with us. Our right standing before God cannot be earned by doing good works or following Jewish law. Just, just following the rules cannot save you. And this isn't a new idea either. That the righteousness of God is apart from the law. Because see, he says, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And we'll talk about that more later on in, in chapter 4, so I don't want to step on Derek's toes. So let's ask this question. How do we receive the righteousness of God? How do we receive this gift? Right, because you receive a gift. So how do, how do we do that? Verse 22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Salvation is received through faith in Christ alone. We know this because we have heard about it all through the past five weeks. Faith alone in Christ is what saves. Obedience to the rule of the law cannot save a person. Following a religious system cannot save a person. Following a set of rules, religious rules, in order to gain salvation is not the gospel. So listen, it's not Jesus plus something. It is faith in Christ alone. And Paul's not talking about a generic faith in some particular object. No, but faith in a particular person, in Jesus, in the faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that paid for your sins. So let's continue, verse 23 and 24. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We all know that we fall short. We have sinned. We saw that all through Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. It's made it very clear. And this is Paul's simple reminder. But let's look at a couple more words a little bit more closely. We are justified by grace, by his grace as a gift. Now, understanding justification is so important for us today. Faith in Jesus alone justifies us before God. Now, you might have heard that justification defined like this. Just as if I'd never sinned, right? The term justification, just as if I'd never sinned. And there's truth in that, but it leaves us short. How does it leave us short? Defined this way, it puts us back in the Garden of Eden. Just as if we'd never sinned in untested holiness like Adam before we sinned. So there's more to it. See, justification is more. Justification, in, in justification, we are given Christ's righteousness. Not only has God taken away the debt of our sin, but he has given us his righteousness. God, the judge, has declared that we are forever wrapped in an everlasting righteousness of Christ. His record is now our record. His reward is now our reward. Why? Why? Well, listen closely. God, in his grace, God, in his grace, as a gift, treats you as righteous. Okay, that's great news. Because he treated Christ as unrighteous. God in his create in his grace has has a gift. He treats you as righteous because he treated Christ as unrighteous. That was the cross. Christ's blood that was shed on the cross that paid for you, that redeemed you for God. Just hearing this makes me want to break out. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It makes me want to break out and worship. I hope this is sinking in. That you cannot do anything and you did not do anything to earn God's salvation. God has done and will continue to do everything that we need for salvation. So let's continue. Verse 25 and 26. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Propitiation. It's a huge word, right? Some translations say mercy seat. This is, this is just more theological meat that Paul is piling on to our plates. In the Old Testament, you hear about the mercy seat a lot. It was located in the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle. 
This is where God's presence dwelled, right on the top middle part of the Ark of the Covenant. That was the holy, that was the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would take the blood of an animal and the priest would then pour that blood onto the mercy seat. And this act would remove God's wrath towards his people because of their sin and it would bring forgiveness to his people. Aren't you glad that we don't slaughter animals up here anymore and pour blood on mercy seats? Because see, look what's happened. Jesus is the fulfillment of the mercy seat. Through his death on the cross, Jesus took our place and he took our sin and the wrath of God was taken away from us. But unlike the mercy seat, Jesus only had to die once. This is not a yearly sacrifice any longer. His sacrifice was once and for all. He took away all of our sins, the past sins, our present sins, and our future sin. And he has turned God's wrath away from us. The sacrificial death of Christ is more than just a physical death. No, he was the sacrifice that appeased the righteous wrath of God for all time. He took our penalty that we deserved and paid for it. See, the wages of sin is what? It's death. For the wage of sin is death. Our sin earns us death. In order for our sin to be forgiven, there must be a price that's paid. And Christ paid that price by his blood, by his perfect, sinless life sacrificed for us. The wrath, the wrath of God that our sin deserves was satisfied by Jesus. Now, who paid this? Who paid this price? Look what it says. It says, God put forward. God paid it. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his only son. So let me help us picture this a little bit better. The price that was paid. This picture of propitiation. I heard a story of a dad who had two kids and these two kids got in trouble and the dad's way of taking care of, of or disciplining his kids was to spank them. But this time the dad wanted to, treat, to teach them a lesson about what Christ had done on their behalf, what God had done on their behalf. And so what he did is this dad put the belt in the kid's hand. And the dad then began to kneel over. And he told the kids, you kids punish me for the crime that you did. This is what God has done for us. The dad stepped in and took his own wrath. The kids didn't want to do it. Tears started falling down their face. And just understanding the price that was being paid. We need to understand the price that was paid on our behalf by the cross. The blood that covers our sin. Christ died on the cross and God poured out his wrath on sin. On Jesus instead of us. And this is why the cross is so important. 
By the cross, Jesus became our propitiation. He took our sin, absorbed our deserved wrath, and has given us forgiveness. Let's continue. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Paul is simply saying that God has delayed his judgment on humanity for their sin. He was forbearing on these things because he knew that the time had not yet come for his son to be shown to the world to make payment on the cross. God had allowed sin to continue. This is God's long suffering. This is his love towards his creation. So then the question must be asked then, how can a holy God accept sinful humans without violating his justice? See, God is both the judge who cares enough about the world to set standards and hold us accountable to them, but he is also the justifier who has done everything necessary to forgive and to restore us. See, he is a father worth having. He is a father that we can have. And the cross is where we see that he is both just and the one who justifies. So now I have to make this next section really quick. So just hang in there with me. Ready? Verses 27 through 31. Your response to God. What is our response to God? In light of all that God has done for us, we must respond. How do we respond? Verse 27 and 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Church, God has done everything. God has provided salvation. He has made us righteous. He justifies us. He sent his son to die for us. Therefore, we have no reason to boast. We don't. We have nothing to be proud of within ourselves. God gets all the glory for our salvation. So how do we respond? Well, you've heard it all throughout this text. We respond in faith. That's it. There is nothing that, can, that we can do to save ourselves. Or we would have something to boast in, right? No, we're justified by faith. By simply trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The one who saves us. Paul affirms this again in the last verses that we read today. He says, or is, it, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Remember, He's writing to both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And he's already stated that we all have the same problem, the same problem of sin, and we are all saved by the same way, which is through faith in Jesus. And then Paul closes with this question about how faith relates to the law, which we'll cover in the weeks to come. Well, let's close with this. Faith. 
faith. What does it mean to have faith? See, faith is an element of our life that we don't think about very often. But it is something that we act on every day. Faith is something that we do every day. See, you have faith in your friends that when they serve you food that they didn't poison it. Even though some of them probably wanted to. But no, you have faith that they didn't. You have faith in your doctors and their ability to care for you well. You put your faith in your employer that they will pay you for the work that you have done. You have faith in everyone around you when you get behind the wheel of a car. Faith that they will stay in their lane and not cross over into your lane. We live by faith every day. When you sat down in your pew this morning, did you shake it? Did you press on it? Make sure that it was going to hold you up? No, you didn't. By faith, you sat. You sat down in your pew. Everything we do is by faith. So according to our text this morning, faith alone is the only valid response to the gospel. The word faith is used eight times in these 11 verses. Faith alone in Jesus alone is what makes you a Christian. It's what saves you. It's what justifies you. There is no other way to heaven except through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. So you've heard the good news. Christ, God has done everything for you through Christ. He has paid the price. God has created the solution to our problem of sin. Now the question is, is what do you do with this gift? Will you receive it in faith? That's the only thing you can do with this gift. You either receive a gift or you reject a gift. Believing and trusting in Jesus to save you. Do you put your faith in that? Will you receive it or will you reject it and walk away? You have that choice this morning. Do you receive the gift of life through Jesus Christ? I pray that you do. I pray that you make that decision today. Because you might not be guaranteed tomorrow for that decision. Let us pray.